If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast. Hi, everyone. Hi, CrimeCon 2023. It's such an honor to be here in your company. I'm so grateful for this time, and I am especially honored to be joined by Dr. Michael Bodden, who has, you have performed thousands of autopsies. You're a forensic pathologist, a medical examiner extraordinaire, and you've also been an expert witness and served as an an expert on so many countless high-profile cases. I don't know if you guys know this, but my father actually was a pathologist. So my lunchbox growing up, I wanted my little pony. Instead, I had a specimen bag. So the kids at school were like, is it like organs in there? And I'm like, oh, you know, it was cleaned. And our our turkey at Thanksgiving would be like quartered all perfectly. So I know what it's like to have a pathologist father, and I have the utmost respect for you, sir. Mm. So why don't we start out by talking a little bit about the sometimes quite large disconnect between entertainment and real life. What are some of the biggest misconceptions that you see from how forensic pathologists and their findings are portrayed portrayed in entertainment versus real life? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I, I think the um, uh, main thing uh, that gets distorted on uh, television uh, often is that we are not involved with determining who did it. We do follow journalistic rules, who, what, where, when, why, and how, are some of the things that we try to scientifically analyze. But the who of it is, is not who done it, is who is the body you're about to do an autopsy on. So we are responsible to identify the body. We have the help of uh, the FBI and the police on fingerprints. We have the help of uh, dentists, but in the final analysis, we're the ones who have to put the name on the death certificate. Number one, who, what is what happened we do, uh, where. Uh, the first thing we do when we go to a scene is look at the body and decide, is this where the person died or was the person moved here uh, after death uh, automatically? And that we tell by the rigor mortis and the lividity and make sure the body wasn't moved, just as a given where when the, t- the time of uh, death is, becomes very important, uh, t- especially to the police when they come as to uh, when the death occurred. And we do that also from the signs of death at the scene. Nowadays, very few medical examiners go to the scene. They have uh, other people go to the scene. And that can sometimes limit the ability of us to get an accurate uh, diagnosis. How it happened uh, is part of the autopsy. But uh, the main thing about the medical examiner 
and the forensic pathologist is to do an independent autopsy uh, to determine what all, all the scientific evidence is uh, that helps in the resolution of the case, both for the prosecutor and for the defense equally. And we have a few cases that we're going to talk about today. Before we get to them, can you speak to the difference, as we have learned in sort of some high-profile cases, the distinction between when a death is ruled a homicide or suicide or inconclusive, that has real-world results for a lot of families, insurance, whether police can investigate and the like. Can you speak to those distinctions and why some families are still waiting for those determinations to be overruled and changed and it seemingly isn't easy to happen? Um, there, as you know, five different uh, uh, manners of death. Uh, natural accident, suicide, homicide, and undetermined. Normally, Medical examiners usually get involved or called on in the all unnatural deaths uh, are, are referred to medical examiners or coroners. And uh, otherwise, the treating doctor or the hospital doctor issues a report, and all of those deaths tend to be natural deaths. That's the one. About 92% of deaths in the United States are from natural causes. Uh, Heart disease, number one, Alzheimer's, brain disease, uh, kidney disease, et cetera. So those get, uh, the death certificates get issued immediately with the, with the natural cause of death. If the, uh, there's an issue as to the cause of death, most homicides, the, the majority of homicides, shootings and stabbings, for example, baseball bat injuries, are known right away so that the, the uh, in a homicide, the police come in with a suspect, and the next day or two there's a, an announcement as to the cause of death. The, the difficult cases tend to be uh, drug overdoses, because the drug overdose cases, whether suicide or due to fentanyl and illicit use of drugs, takes the time to do toxicology. And it's the toxicology that uh, uh, takes the time in issuing the death certificate and in permitting the family to go ahead with whatever uh, legal things they have to do. Uh, but the, the uh, homicides uh, uh, are delayed if there's an issue of poisoning. Not very often does that happen nowadays. In the old days before toxicology, 1800s, uh, carbon monoxide, uh, arsenic was the big uh, uh, poison, and that was the, the first toxicology determination of a poison was arsenic. It was uh, called inheritance powder. You know, but you had to get near the person to put it in the chicken soup or something. But uh, uh, that was uh, the beginning of toxicology, and now. Uh, uh, it's amazing what the toxicologists can do, but it takes, A, it takes time, not so, so much time. Usually a week or so, you get the toxicology done. The reason the families are told they can't get the death certificate is because there's a long line of cases ahead of them. It's the volume of deaths that are now uh, uh, being caused by fentanyl and many fentanyl-like drugs, the similar drugs, much of it coming from China, uh, and that uh, have killed 
100,000 people last year, the fentanyl drugs and the analogs. So those, are, those take time. But the great majority of homicides and, and suicide, the suicides are known pretty much uh, if the, somebody uh, shoots himself, or major cause in the United States of suicide is gunshot wounds. Uh, but if it's a drug overdose, like in New York City, where we had, very, we used to have very strict gun uh, prohibition, uh, the only people who committed suicide by gunshot were law enforcement because normal citizens didn't have it. The, the, nor, the way normal citizens committed suicide was by drug overdose, usually by uh, barbiturates or drugs that were prescribed by physicians, prescription drugs that are psychotropic drugs. And those also go to the toxicologist and take a long time. But uh, the, the great majority of uh, uh, determination cause of death uh, since they're natural, uh, about 95, 98% of deaths are known immediately uh, at the time of the autopsy on the death certificate. But the ones that require further investigation, we a small number, but an important number. We're going to take a quick break. More from our guest after this. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. So diving into the first case that we'll discuss today, um, for years, someone, a killer, known colloquially as the Long Island serial killer or the Gilgo Beach murderer, um, kept Long Island, New York in a state of fear. And earlier this summer, a man by the name of Rex Hewerman was charged with the murders of three young women, Melissa Bartholomew, Megan Waterman, and Amber Costello. Many bodies were found in the Gilgo Beach area of New York, including one by the name of Shannon Gilbert. You performed the autopsy on Ms. Shannon Gilbert, who went missing in 2010 and whose body was discovered in 2011. Can you speak to your findings, doctor? Yeah, it, Shannon Gilbert's very interesting uh, uh, death, I think was dis discussed this, earlier this afternoon. Uh, she's the first person that was looked for in the Gilgo area. Uh, she, at 2010, went running out of uh, a client's uh, uh, house and was, uh, went missing. Uh, there was a, a search for her. She had called, she had called uh, 911, gave apparently a long 10 or 20 minute interview to uh, the operator uh, that's only recently being partially released. Uh, and while looking for her, the four bodies in Burlap Sack were found a few months later in Gilgo Beach. She was found about a year after that. Uh, when the autopsy was done in 2011, uh, the medical examiner, although they'd signed out, determined that the four in the burlap bag had died of homicidal violence, 
which is not really a, a, an explanation as cause of death, uh, because the bodies were very decomposed. Uh, they signed out Shannon Gilbert in Suffolk County as undetermined. And the police uh, came forth and said uh, they assumed she was found in a marshy area, that she had run away, tripped in the marshy area, and drowned. Uh, about three or four years later, the family, through their lawyer, asked me to do a second uh, autopsy. And when I did the second autopsy of the skeletal remains, uh, found a fracture, uh, a small piece of the thyroid cartilage. What had happened, the body was found, uh, many of the organs had been removed by rodents and other, as, as happens in, in, in outdoors. And uh, uh, so that made it look very much like it was a, uh, that would be a, very suggestive of a uh, strangulation homicide. Now, uh, even though that hasn't been the cause of death in the uh, Gilgo cases, it's recognized by police that uh, in the Gilgo cases, uh, the autopsy showed no shootings, no stabbing, uh, even though, and that the most common way that sex workers are killed is uh, by strangulation. The strangulation is uh, largely a, med a, manu a man, a, 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 a male thing, a stronger male with a weaker woman squeezing on the neck, whatever the circumstances, so that the person can't call for help, as well as uh, uh, stop her resistance. And uh, squeezing on the neck causes fractures and, uh, and death. Uh, so uh, the problem with the Gilgo cases is because of the decomposition changes, uh, there's been a real question as to causes of death. However, if I may inject my two cents into it, uh, we've had, uh, when you have serial murders, a lot depends on how. We had in New York City, uh, Son of Sam, and he went shooting a whole bunch of people, as often happens in serial murders. With shooting cases, uh, the victims can be all kinds of victims, uh, and they're identified by the bullet, the same bullet, the 44 caliber bullet with the son of Sam, and he was identified in the 70s uh, as, the, and I did some of those autopsies in New York City, uh, as uh, uh, from a parking ticket. Uh, he was, his car was parked illegally at a spot where uh, somebody was shot and killed in a car. And when they investigated, they, they found him, uh, uh, and he confessed. Suffolk County had its own, uh, in, in the 19, 1980s, uh, Joel Rifkind and, uh, uh, killed, uh, was convicted of 17 murders in Suffolk County. Nobody knew there was a serial murder going on there, as often is the case. The FBI says there are about 25 to 50 serial murders uh, a year uh, at large at any given time. And uh, they count uh, two or more separate individual acts of murder as a serial murder. With Joel Rifkin, it was 17 Suffolk County, and they also he also, uh, like uh, uh, the Gilgo cases, 
chose uh, uh, sex workers. Sex workers are easy to do because uh, often there are no complaints that they're missing for quite a while. And it's a male, stronger male, strangling usually the, uh, the victim. Joel Rifkin was found because three o'clock in the morning, uh, around, uh, after he'd been doing this about four or five years, uh, New York State troopers in Suffolk County stopped a car, which did, a, 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 a vehicle with no license plate on it. And when they stopped the car, they smelled a decomposing body. And they looked in, it was one of the uh, 17 murders. And what he did, he'd kill the uh, uh, sex worker and then distribute the bodies some in all of the different places, not one place. And this one, he, was, he dumped a number of these bodies in, in waterways around uh, Suffolk County, some in New Jersey, some in upstate New York. Uh, finding a, a group of bodies together, uh, like in Gilgo Beach, uh, is, very, is usually evidence of one individual. I think this was also going into this afternoon. One, via, one person uh, uh, dumping bodies in one spot. Serial murders don't gather together and, uh, and uh, uh, agree on where they're going to uh, uh, deposit a body. So I think from uh, a uh, police point of view and a medical examiner point of view, it would, pa uh, it would uh, uh, suggest strongly one person like Yorman now and finding out what, I'm sure that the police now looking into it and the uh, great work they've done uh, now uh, have a lot of information about all the different bodies. Remember, some of those body parts were in Fire Island, some in Manorville, which is in, uh, nearby, and, and, and partly there and partly at the Gilgo site. So there's a lot of uh, investigation, and I suspect they're not going to come out with it. But I remember at the time that this happened, 10, 2010, uh, with the Gilgo police, there was a strong division in the, in the Suffolk police, whether there was one or more than one perpetrator. And, and my, they, they didn't include Shannon in it at all because there was no evidence that she was murdered. You know, they thought that she drowned in a marsh. My opinion would be that I think that the second examination showed that uh, there was most likely a fracture of the, uh, high, uh, of the thyroid larynx that indicates she also was strangled and uh, uh, that she would fit into the group. Dr. Oftentimes cited this mantra of the simplest explanation is likely what occurred. Do you find that to be true? in autopsies and medical examinations? And is there a case that you can recall where you were medically challenged and emerged triumphant with the cause or the manner of death that was able to totally change the course of an investigation to procure justice? Well, one of the reasons we do autopsies, the main reason we do autopsies is because the diagnosis during life is not, um, is not um, uh, always accurate. I remember, if I may, when I was an intern, I was an intern at Bellevue Hospital in New York City, uh, 
being taught by two people who had just won the Nobel Prize in, in um, cardiac and uh, lung uh, uh, investigation of natural deaths. And that was a while ago. And then Eleanor Roosevelt came into Presbyterian Hospital, which is one of the near where I was working. Uh, with all kinds of uh, diagnoses. The, the, the a wonderful woman who was uh, uh, FDR's uh, widow and a beautiful person in her own right, died there with a diagnosis of pneumonia. And uh, when the autopsy was done, despite the best doctors in, in, in Presbyterian Hospital, uh, she had metast uh, metastatic tuberculosis that was totally not uh, identified and that caused her to die at a time when we were just getting in a lot of good medicines to treat it. So she had widespread tuberculosis and it struck me and that you learn a lot more from an autopsy often than you do from an adult. And what we find as medical examiners is the, the types of death that occur that are missed by, um, by um, uh, uh, the treating doctors tend to be with uh, this, uh, deaths that don't leave any mark on the body and uh, such a strangulation and that we'll find when it wasn't suspected. The other kind of thing we have to remember as medical examiners when, when, um, uh, a per, when a fire occurs, when a fire occurs and people die of fire, 90% of the normal, and this comes up with a case we're about to discuss in Yellowstone. When somebody dies at Yellowstone, uh, four people in a car and a fire uh, uh, starts, uh, we have to realize that in, in uh, accidental fires, uh, a person's alive and breathes in the smoke and breathes in carbon monoxide. In murders that are then tried to be covered up by uh, a fire, is, um, uh, uh, there's no inhaling of, of the smoke, so there's no carbon monoxide in the blood. And th the reason that's a, very important is because if a person is, is murdered, the most important organ for the medical examiner, for the forensic pathologist, is the skin. Is our, like, you have the kidney person and the heart person and the liver, doctors that are, uh, our, our, the, uh, our most important um, organ is the skin because that's where you see the marks on the body, the bullet wound of entrance the, and exit, the stab wounds, the, the uh, bruises and injuries. Uh, the fact that uh, one, usually if one is strangled, there's some marks on the neck, but sometimes, uh, especially with choking with the arms, there are no marks on the outside. You have to look on the inside and got to be suspicious. So that in a fire, uh, any fire, most people who die in fires uh, uh, will die of the carbon monoxide before the flame reaches the body. So that most of the innocent natural deaths are people who have uh, high carbon monoxide levels and um, lots of burns on the outside. Uh, one of the first times I was astounded by uh, 
by the autopsy was we, there was a little old lady who uh, died at home and a fire started and the husband was uh, grief stroken and uh, we decided to do an autopsy. We, I forget for the reason why. Normally one might not do it. And the x-ray, we did an x-ray first, showed a bullet. We did, we did not see any bullet hole because the, the skin was burned. We found the bullet and found that the husband had shot his wife. The story about that is the family, the sisters, they'd been married for about 50 years. The two sisters of the slain woman came in to make as, give us information and make some kind of a, uh, sign the papers necessary. And they asked what the cause of death was. And I said, oh my God, my grief, I'm going to tell them uh, that uh, it looks like uh, she was shot by her, uh, shot. The only person who could have done it was the husband. One sister looked at the other and said, he should have done it 30 years ago. <laughs> this, is the de this is the decedent's sisters. So one can see that there's all kinds of things that medical examiners can get into. Uh, uh, in private lives, and one of the things that we're, we have to do, uh, the one time we become mind readers is the suicides, because we have to think whether or not the person uh, intentionally took the sleeping pills, intentionally fired the bullet, intentionally hanged himself, or, or whether that uh, the hanging was due to an accident or to some kind of sexual activity, we, which we have. And there, there the suicide part of, uh, is one to find the cause of death and then to determine that it was intentional and not uh, an accident. One of the ways might do it is the amount of drug that was taken, you know, the, the thing that, well, uh, my wife took two pills and forgotten, took two more pills and forgotten, took more. If they'd taken, you know, 30 or 40 pills, that would uh, speak against it. And usually we find out that there's a lot of reasons why the suicide. Suicide doesn't happen in a vacuum, that there are all kinds of uh, pressures that have developed that can lead to suicide. More of the Fox True Crime podcast coming up. Next question before we get to that case. In my younger years, I served as an EMT with an ambulance corps with a fire department. And I'll never forget um, my instructor, who was a firefighting chief, told us about a story where a man in the community had been mowing his lawn and he got stung by a bee. And he went into what he perceived as anaphylactic shock. Um, his spouse called 911, they packaged him up, they took him to the hospital and realized he had been shot by an errant, you know, gun somewhere in the community, clearly not quite meant for him. So doctor, can you speak to how difficult is it to go into an, an examination where you are saying to the body, tell me what I need to know, how difficult is it to manage preconceived expectations or associations? Well, uh, uh, you're absolutely right. We, the body speaks to the doctor doing the autopsy. I hate to admit this, I'm not a very religious person, but every time I do an autopsy, it just shows me what a miracle we are. We have three million cells in our body. 
and we do an autopsy, and every nerve knows where to go, and every uh, heart muscle knows that, that little one cell, you know, mom and dad, uh, uh, creates all kinds of cells, and each cell knows where to go in the body, and that's uh, who, may, which cell is going to make a nose or skin or uh, uh, a brain cell. So it, it is a uh, religious experience for me to really to uh, uh, do an autopsy. And um, uh, what was the question? <laughs> how difficult it is, or is it challenging? How do you how do you surmount any preconceived expectations you have going into yeah. an autopsy, where you let the body tell you what might be yeah. surprising results? Yeah. What I was going to say when we do the autopsy. We keep our minds fresh. We have all kinds of things. Somebody thinks it's a homicide. Somebody thinks it's a suicide. Somebody says there's an argument. And we have to do, uh, do a, a proper, I hate to say routine, but the normal autopsy, the normal autopsy, and it can be extended, consists, starts with two incisions. One is a Y-shaped incision in the chest uh, from the left shoulder down to the uh, uh, pit of the stomach the right shoulder down and down to the uh, uh, pubic area uh, so that we could uh, open up the uh, uh, cavity to uh, cut through the ribs and there's the heart, the lungs and all the different uh, organs of the body for us to look at. And the other is an incision behind the ears from one ear to the other to be able to reflect the scalp and uh, remove the top of the scalp and uh, examine the brain. And that procedure, now we may do other studies that take x-rays before, do DNA studies, uh, take x-rays of the arms and legs. If, if a baby uh, dies, a child dies, before we do an autopsy, we'll do x-rays of the whole body because uh, there may be fractures of the hands or arms and all that normally would not be examined uh, as part of the routine autopsy. So that the certain procedures we follow and our focus has to be on what we find and not what other people think. If the cause of death can be uh, determined without uh, an autopsy due to uh, the extensive work that's been done in the hospital and doctors and past medical history and the circumstances of death, uh, then uh, uh, the preconceived notions can uh, be very accurate on the death certificate by the treating doctors. But if it comes to the medical examiner's office, there's an issue involved as the cause of death, as the identification of the person, and we take into consideration everybody's thoughts to make sure we cover everything, all the issues that have, uh, have been raised, uh, but we make our own independent uh, judgment. Uh, uh, and I must say, uh, bring it up. There are only about 500 forensic pathologists in the United States that do that do uh, that are working full time, and uh, uh, many. And there are about a, 10 states that don't have a single forensic pathologist in the state, and then the causes of death are left to other doctors, uh, and uh, errors can uh, can occur. Uh, and that's been an issue. Part of the issue is we have coroners versus medical examiners. Uh, 
coroner system is what we inherited from the British in, in the 1600s when coroners, elected officials uh, of uh, 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 voting age uh, who are citizens, and that's all you need to be a coroner in, in 1600 and now. You, uh, most, not all, in many places, some coroners require more. So, and coroners tend to be elected officials. In the 1890s, um, Massachusetts uh, was the first state to say, and Virginia actually, uh, that maybe a coroner should be a, a doctor. They're the ones who know best about it. And they should be on, mer on merit, you know, uh, not on election. And uh, uh, the way things have developed, uh, about half the counties in the United States are coroner, and half are medical examiner. Usually, uh, the coroners will often, but not necessarily, contact a local forensic pathology in the in in the county or the state or near nearby states to uh, do autopsies when they think it might be a homicide. But they're the ones who make the the, the determination. Uh, of whether or not uh, a forensic pathologist should do the autopsy. Moving on to the next case that you alluded to earlier. So in the summer of 1999, Northern California was shocked by what became or came to be known as the Yosemite murders, where Carol and Julie Sund and their foreign exchange student friend Sylvina Peloso were murdered in a lodge and a few weeks later a state park employee Joey Armstrong was found dead. Each of those young women seemingly had different manners and causes of death including the way of posing including in the way of their found geographical placements and locations. Doctor, can you speak to those bodies and what the findings revealed then? Well, I, I think uh, the, the first four uh, were uh, in a car, the first three. The mom and the two children were, were found in a car. And it's interesting, car fires uh, use up the surrounding, uh, surrounding um, uh, uh, materials that, uh, that can, uh, can uh, flame up. Uh, when gasoline is put on them in order to cover up uh, a murder or cause of death, will go out by themselves uh, with only the skin being um, uh, injured. Uh, so that even though one may see in, on television sometimes the whole body is charred from the fire, it was, the body is a most amazing development. Whoever created the, the, the body, uh, the whole skin can be charred and, uh, and damaged, but the internal organs remain beautiful, unhurt, unhurt by the flame, because the, the dead skin protects protects the internal organs. And the first thing we see in somebody who dies naturally of, uh, in, in a fire, who's been breathing while the carbon monoxide, which is odorless and colorless. So if we're being overcome, and as winter comes on, you'll see some places that uh, turn on uh, the faulty heaters or so. We've had 
when I was working with the New York State Police in upstate New York, uh, one time birds had built a nest in a chimney, and when they turned on the, uh, the, uh, 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 the heat, uh, there was a backup of the carbon monoxide and it couldn't go out because, and it wound up killing the birds and killing four people and uh, that it was initially thought to be some kind of bizarre murders but the, uh, the um, uh, toxicology showed that it was all carbon monoxide poisoning and the birds uh, caused that. So we see uh, when we open it, and carbon monoxide turns the blood uh, a cherry pink, a bright pink. And when we open up and look in the internal of the body, we see all of the organs uh, uh, bright pink, indicating car the two things that cause that are carbon monoxide and cyanide. See, so that medical examiners are on the alert, you know, if they find the body with, with uh, the cherry pink lividity and it has no carbon monoxide source or anything to worry about cyanide, which was raised as a problem uh, years ago as if there was some kind of uh, uh, attempt to kill a lot of people at one time by using cyanide, which as cyanide was uh, gas. Uh, one wouldn't know about it, and one knew how to test. Knew that they had a test. The test is simple, but you have. It's not a routine test that the medical examiners do. Somebody has to raise the issue. It's different than looking for all the different drugs of abuse that are more typical. But and then by by internal examination, one is able to look at even a burnt body. Um, the stomach contents and the stomach contents tells the uh, medical examiner what the last meal was and how long ago it had been taken by the degree of digestion. And I think that was very, very helpful in, uh, in determining uh, that uh, the deaths uh, uh, happened soon after a meal which they had at the motel and I think that turned out that the person who did the uh, uh, kill them and kill the other person was a motel worker. Stay with us. More of the Fox True Crime podcast after this. Also on the topic of toxicology, so in Aurora, Colorado in 2019, a man by the name of Elijah McLean was killed or was found dead while in police custody, uh, the cause of death or was ketamine in the system. Can you speak to, doctor, that finding and how that altered the course of that case? Yeah. Um, when McCain, uh, McLean had, uh, uh, was being subdued by police in Aurora, in Aurora, uh, Colorado, um, there came a point, and this police have to learn that, not to do this, uh, that uh, EMS came over and they said that they should give them some more, uh, or this is what the EMT people say, they should uh, give him uh, uh, something so that he doesn't wake up and start uh, uh, causing a problem. And they gave him an unusual drug that a few places use now, ketamine. Ketamine is a, um, is a um, 
uh, a tranquilizer. When it was around in the 1960s in New York City when I was uh, working in New York City. And uh, ketamine uh, uh, started out being used on veterinary, very powerful anesthetic. It was used with uh, horses, a lot with given to horses when they had to be operated on. But it also causes hallucinations. And that's why they stopped using it in horses. But it got onto the black market in New York City and elsewhere. And it's been around as a, uh, uh, a drug of abuse that if the person takes too much of it, they can die from it. Uh, recently, in the past few years, some places were using, started using, some EMTs were using it uh, to calm people down who were struggling with police. What happened with McLean was that he dies. They find a big, a, a large amount of ketamine in, in his body. And uh, apparently, the tri there's a trial starting a in Aurora in which two police officers and two EMT people are being charged with uh, 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 some sort of uh, 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 murder, not murder, but uh, some second degree or manslaughter or something. And that's going on right now. And what part of the problem they're looking into, and this will be interesting, is did the ketamine cause or contribute to the death? Did the restraint of the um, of the uh, uh, of the uh, McLean uh, causes death, or was it a combination of both? And I think by charging the police and the, the uh, EMT, it would indicate that the uh, prosecutor feels it's a combination of both. And one of the important things that's going to be uh, uh, looked into at the trial would be what was the condition of the. Uh, victim at the time of the injection of the ketamine, which was, in, to make it even more complicated, given a much larger dose than it should have been. Uh, although the amount, the amount of drug in the body, uh, and this comes up a lot, is it needn't cause death, it, it, but could cause death. Like with heroin and fentanyl, a person who uses the drug uh, builds a tolerance to it. And different people have different tolerances. So what could be fatal for one person could uh, be of no significance in another person as far as causing death. But what, what's going to be at uh, issue would be what the com uh, how the restraint was done. And this is one of the issues that came up with uh, uh, George Floyd and uh, others that have raised the issue of deaths during restraint is as a physical restraint, does the prevention of uh, 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 impairment of breathing by the way the handcuffs are put on while a person is in a prone position, as, as was uh, Floyd, as was McLean, uh, uh, a cause of sufficient impairment of breathing uh, to cause death. We have, we all know from Kathy, uh, I know others, 206 bones in the body, about 650 muscles in the body. But the, the, the muscles that are most valued to, the, to me is not my uh, biceps or triceps, of which I don't have much, uh, but, the, but that we all know about. The Schwarzenegger, Schwarzenegger muscles, they're all over the body. 
two little muscles that are the diaphragms that have the, uh, uh, right now, you're breathing here, your muscles are going 16, roughly, average, 16 times a minute, up and down, to take 16 breaths uh, per minute. For the whole life, faster when we're, when we're uh, exercising, for example, and when the, when the uh, body is in a prone position and there's weight on the back, and there's the issue of how much weight, uh, the body organs get pushed up. The one thing, uh, they can't get pushed down because of the, of the way the uh, pelvis is constructed. So if there's pressure on the back, uh, while the person's uh, prone on the ground, it pushes the, mo uh, the, the, uh, 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 the diaphragms up and they can't go up and down. That's why a person cannot, can get the impression of not being able to breathe. And that's the issue, one of the issues coming up in McLean is was the pressure put on the back long enough for the impairment of breathing so that our brains we just we don't exercise them except that they use up by 20 25 percent of the oxygen it's the bigger users biggest user of oxygen in the body is the brain and when the oxygen is impaired the first cells that die are the brain cells and they don't regenerate liver cells will regenerate but not the brain cells and that's why the way somebody's restrained and the way this uh, uh, trial is going to come out will uh, be very important in determining why he died, uh, whether ketamine should be continued to be used because that was official drug. It wasn't an illegal, illegal drug. It was just, it's used. It was used at that time in Colorado. Dr. Michael Bodden, thank you so much. Truly world-renowned forensic pathologist, medical examiner. We're so grateful. So thank grateful you to all you. very much. Please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. If you have a story or topic you want to hear on the show, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at truecrimepodcast at fox.com. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.